Hey everyone, welcome to the Sneaker History Podcast, where we dive into the people, stories, and iconic moments that have helped make sneakers a global phenomenon. If you've ever told someone that you like their kicks, then you're in the right place. Before we lace up this episode, here's a little teaser for you. Stick around to the end of each episode for the last shot question. It's a chance to test your sneaker knowledge and engage with our community. I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com slash newsletter for a weekly deep dive into the biggest topics in the sneaker business. All right, now that the business is taken care of, grab your favorite pair of kicks and let's get started with the episode. Georgian trying to shake off Starks. Oh, what a move! What up, what up? Welcome back to the Sneaker History Podcast. My name is Nick Ingvall. Today I'm with my guy Robbie Falke to talk some kicks. What's going on, man? How you been? I'm doing good. Um, I hope the volume isn't too weird because I can hear my computer really struggling to, to process the fans really loud. It's having a hard time getting ready to handle all the heat we're going to be talking about. <laughs> yeah definitely uh definitely some nostalgia on the way in this episode man that um, was corny and true let me tell you my my computer is being <laughs> <really> loud oh <laughs> like, uh, man so uh we, we were we were thinking about talking about you know specifically the uh the last episode of the last dance, or last couple episodes i should say of the last dance but figure we wait until uh until Mike can be with us to to run through all of that stuff, but we got some we got some good stuff on the way. And if you've been on the site today, we've got some good stuff for you on on sneakerhistory.com. So um, before we get into that, though, uh, I want to read a review as we usually do. Although we've been slacking in the past few weeks, but the last one I think we need to re- read here is uh, from Mario Restores. Shout out to Mario. He's actually. Uh, a guy that does sneaker restorations uh, from my hometown of Sacramento, and he's got a pretty pretty nice little nice little selection of work. If you check him out on on Instagram, he's Mario underscore Restores with two R's. He said, "Do yourself a favor, go subscribe to this podcast. Great knowledge and great interviews with awesome content." So thanks for the review, Mario. We definitely appreciate it. Sitting at a hundred right now. I, I don't know. It, episode. I asked really nicely for more. I guess we'll have to wait a little <laughs> longer. I always feel weird about asking for reviews. Do people care if we ask for reviews? Do you even listen to us asking for reviews? It, I mean, we're just trying to build the podcast. We're trying to get some more, some more people in the community, more people talking with us. And sometimes I think that it's a mute point to, to even be asking for reviews because honestly, most people probably listen to this while they're commuting or on their phone where they're not like actually going to be on iTunes where they can give us a review. So, um, but it, it is it is nice to see the reviews. We definitely appreciate it. And we also appreciate all of you who are, who are supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash sneaker history. Uh, I'm in the middle of kind of revamping what that looks like because I just bit off a little more than I could chew with with the original you know, idea of what the Patreon would become. And I've got some new merch in the works for our Patreon members. We've got some giveaways for Patreon members coming up. So Keep an eye on that. This week, we'll have a whole new kind of framework for our, for our Patreon and also potentially some new episodes going up over there, too. So, But anyway, we appreciate all of you for supporting us and listening. And now that business is out of the way, you want to you want to introduce them into this whole uh, story episode? Yeah. Um, so Nick, very nicely, along with the help of uh, Brandon Elder, uh, Chris Elliott, and Rennick Bowen uh, put together this list of the first three-peat sneakers. So pretty much all of the sneakers from the first championship three-peat. Um, it kind of goes a little bit before. Um, well, if they know it doesn't, it starts with the Jordan 6. But it, it kind of fills in the gaps, too. So it's not just the literal shoes from those three championships. Um, you know, it explores the shoes of the competition, um, you know, exhibition games like the Olympics, stuff like that. Um, well, the later one will 
kind of had the Olympics. So I kind of got a little tongue tied there, but ultimately it's just every shoe broken down. I know a lot of sites are doing this right now. And a lot of people have been covering the last dance frantically or fanatically or, you know, unapologetically. There's a lot of additives you can use there. Um, but ours, I feel like gives a really homey feel. And I, I mean that in, in the best way possible because the insights from people who really, really care about the products, not just as consumers, but as aficionados, as fans, as dreamers, you can even go that deep with Michael Jordan. So uh, I feel like our list here is, is pretty next level. Uh, praise be to Nick for helping create this beast. But that's about it. That's like that's the long Reader's Digest version of our list here. Yeah. So I I basically just wanted to kind of create something that um, I guess documented this in a different way, right? Like we've all talked about the Jordans, and obviously, if you listen to this, you know how much we love Jordans and Nike basketball. But I wanted to make sure that we got some of the other players on the list. So. When I kind of went into this, my my ultimate goal is to make this something that I can update and add anything that I miss. Like I know for a fact right now that I missed about seven or eight different shoes from from those three seasons, and I just need to I need to make sure that I have the right images and and you know the backstory and all of that stuff. So you know it's, it's real. I mean, like fatigue. So yeah, okay, you, you missed a couple of them, and there's been a lot of stuff about Jordans. But the human brain can only take so much. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so so one of the things that I always run into being a fan of Reeboks is that a lot of the people that that write about Reeboks, and this is no shots at anybody, but a lot of the people that write about Reeboks don't necessarily know the models or the shoes that people wore, and I'm not any better than those people, but I will put in more work than anybody else. So. That's how I ended up getting jobs at Complex Sneakers when they started that. That's how I ended up getting a job at Soul Collector, at East Bay, at Finish Line. Like, I will outwork everyone. And it's to a fault, right? I don't turn off. And, you know, I'm working on, like, literally, like, 45 minutes of sleep for the last, like, 48 hours. But that's how I work. I get so into it that I'm just, like, go, 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 push, push, push. And I say that because part of this was triggered because there was a, a, a blog that I came across from a few years back from a, you know, like trustworthy news source of sneaker information. And they have the absolute wrong shoes for some of the most important moments, in my opinion, throughout the Bulls history. And I understand that because it's really hard to find information, especially if you if you're just starting to look for this stuff, because the algorithms destroy what what used to be good about sneakers on the Internet. You could go into a Nike talk forum. You could go into a Soul Collector forum. You could go into like the deep depths of a of a, you know, a GeoCities or a Blogspot blog and find all sorts of information that. You know, people like myself back in the day were just like, I'm just going to start putting this out there and find people to connect with that appreciate sneakers. But seeing that and seeing the the misinformation just frustrates me. And I, and I don't mean it in a way that's like demeaning to anybody because it is a, it's a struggle, man. Like it, it takes forever to find the, the, the right information sometimes. And, and the biggest frustration for me as somebody who's worked for and with alongside a lot of these brands for many years is that there's nobody at the brands that knows these stories. One of the reasons why Nike is so successful is that they are really good at making sure that they they capture those stories, they capture those moments for 10, 20, 30 years down the road. It's the same way that we're watching The Last Dance, right? And with, you know, the other brands like Asics, Adidas, you know, Reebok, I mean, we this list has some LA gear, like Pony, like uh, there's a lot of brands out there that have 
had so many ups and downs and so many people coming in and out of the business that to find information on some of their most important moments is literally impossible without somebody that's passionate just scouring the internet or scouring old magazines or scouring old books to find the information. So the whole gist of this is that it is a work in progress, but I, I want it to be a place where anybody that's listened to this can come back to the site and find what shoe this backup player for the bulls wore in, you know, 92 or whatever that is. So that was kind of my motivation, you know, theory on, on this whole thing. But of course I want to also just start with the Jordan six, right? Because to me, and I hate to bring this up for you, Robbie, but for me, that moment of Mike switching to, to his left hand is the most iconic Michael Jordan moment for the start of his his winning. Unfortunately for you, it was against the Lakers. I just wanted to start there because if you're going to talk about the Bulls championships, to me, you start by talking about your Jordan 6. It's funny you say, and people always want to preface that conversation with sorry for the Lakers. But it was time. No Kareem, old magic, old Worthy. It's just, it was, it was time. Or maybe Worthy was gone already. I think Worthy were talking. No, he was still playing. But every dog has his day. And the Lakers uh, met, met a young dog named Michael Jordan, and it was his day. That was a great moment, though. Like the 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 switch, I think people call it, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, you, you You can't mess with that. The six is perfect. Like the infrared six, um, for as inconsistent as the retros can be, which I've always found odd, um, knowing what you just said about Nike having like historians on deck, both internal and external, and yet that infrared color is different every single time. Um, that kind of blows my mind. But that shoe, people wanted to be like Mike before the six, but I feel like. Once you're a champion, everybody really wants to be like Mike. Like it's fun to be James Harden and have the scoring titles, um, you know, have an MVP. That's cool. Like people want to be like James Harden, but people really want to be like Steph Curry, who had the championships, the hardware. And Mike himself said that in the documentary, he wanted to be, you know, he wanted to get to you know Magic and Larry's level and then surpass them. But you got to get to their level first. So the infrared six and the Jordan six as a whole was the, the literal stepping stone into championship pedigree. So of course you have to start there. It is kind of interesting. I can't really speak as much as I might like to on this, but you know, Nike let go of some key employees about four years ago that were, in my opinion, super essential to maintaining those stories and maintaining the kind of legacy of people that are there. And it's nothing against the people that are working there now. I mean, you know, you and I have hung out with people, you know, many friends there, right? Both of us have many friends at Nike and it's challenging because it's a big company. And a lot of times the idea of somebody who is you know, more of a historian and an archivist and somebody who's going to capture those moments and, and make sure that the company preserves them doesn't always fit into the, the big corporate kind of mentality of let's make this money, you know, or let's, let's, you know, inspire people with our marketing or whatever those things are. Right. And I don't have anything against those things. I think to me, that's, that's what good leadership is, is finding that you know, ways to recreate and reinvent who you are as a brand when you're really not doing anything different than you've done for the past however long. But it is kind of unfortunate to, to, to know how those people kind of get overlooked. So I hope that people listening to this and people that read Sneaker History and see what we've done and what I've done through the years really kind of understand that like my goal with all of this stuff is to try to capture as, as many of those moments as possible to pass along to people that would not have seen them otherwise. It's the reason why I don't get into kind of new release stuff as much as everybody else, because that kind of stuff is plentiful right now. And I would rather 
as corny as it sounds, I'd rather be here, you know, talking to you about the Jordan six and then moving into our next shoe, the a six GT drive, which nobody remembers a six having basketball shoes. But that's what I think is important is understanding the whole picture of what's going on during these moments. And, um, so off the, off the high horse there, but next up, uh, on the, on the list, Cliff Levingston, one of the big men for Chicago in the early years, I think, uh, I think actually he won two or three now two titles, I, I believe, but he's wearing a, like a crazy pair of ASICs. And I, I couldn't quite find like a great picture of the shoes independently or of, of him in the shoes, but there are a couple of shots where you can see what he's wearing. And what's crazy about this in like my research for this shoe is that ASICs actually makes basketball shoes right now in Singapore. Like they have some pretty good looking basketball shoes in Singapore. So if you want to see what like, yes, ASICs, like the, the Ronnie Fogg collabs running shoes only brand here in the U S makes like modern basketball shoes in other countries. So if you want to check them out, there's a link on this post. Um, but yeah, just the site is, you know, obviously sneakerhistory.com and you'll see the, the, the first three peat blog post somewhere on there but it's it's just really interesting that those kind of things slide under the radar and that's part of what i love about digging into research stuff for posts and going a little bit further than you normally would did anybody know that asics was making basketball shoes overseas i would love to know if you do you love shoes because i'm looking at these nova surge by asics for 220 dollars, and bruh i you couldn't like we dog Clay Thompson. Like, the Clay Thompson answers make these look like, you know, Jordans, like Rolls Royce Jordans. Like, I will say it is kind of cool how they have the gel in the heel, they have a visible gel, like they're running their patented gel technology. But they have a Blaze Nova, the Glide Nova, which is a low top. There's one theme I'm seeing here, and that goes all the way back to, you know, Cliff's ASIC GT Drive. ASICs knows how to name a shoe because they don't look good, but damn, they sound good. Like, I'm interested in a <laughs> shoe called the GT Drive X. Like, what's up? Like, I'm totally down to kind of figure out. <laughs> yeah. That's the first thing I thought. Um, and then you have stuff like the LA Gear um, Cadge, K-A-J, um craig hodgett's pretty much at the craig shoes um but craig man if he wouldn't have gotten hurt he would have been like the truth right craig hodgett got hurt his uh his leg or there's leg or his hand i can't remember how he got hurt but i remember i mean and i forgot this as somebody who watched him win back-to-back three-point contests but i forgot that he one back-to-back three-point contest like he's just one of those players that because i think it's the dynamic the interesting dynamics of the bulls specifically right because they had great players in all these role role player positions right and they all kind of just like disappear because you are only looking at mike you're only looking at scotty you're looking at you know horace grant rodman etc they're the cream bars the cadge cream Jabbar. And it's even cooler. He's wearing the real goats shoes while playing next to Michael Jordan. That's amazing. <laughs> and I, I actually messed that up. He's actually won three straight three point contests. The only other player other than Larry Bird to do so, which is kind of bananas. Yeah. I mean, and, and you would think with the Steph Curry's and Clay Thompson's and Bradley Beal's of the world, there would be more, they don't even have reoccurring champions a lot. Like it changes every, it's a, it's a crapshoot really. So to win three in a row, that's muy impressive. So one of the things that I thought was interesting as I was digging into this, so there's, there's more, more shoes, as I said, that need to be added to this list, but this was like kind of the, the best of the best to, for me as a starting point. And I was actually blown away. I don't want to get too, too far ahead. Cause I do want to kind of stick to the order that I, that I, put them in here but i was actually blown away at how many la gear shoes the bulls wore during that first few years of of winning 
Next up on my list of, uh, was Scottie Pippen, the Nike Air Bound, which, you know, there's a few different versions of this shoe, I think from 90, either late 90 to 93 or early 91. Um, and what, what I think is crazy about Scottie Pippen's shoes in general is that they were almost like ahead of everyone else because he, he wore a lot of different stuff, but like I specifically this Nike air bound made me remember when I was a kid, of course I'm a Kings fan. So purple, right. But like, this is like pre Kings being purple. Um, the, the air bound released in a limited edition colorway that was all Concord. And I remember seeing it thinking like, okay, that's wild because you got to remember this is like 91, 92, 93. You hadn't even seen like all red maestros from Scottie Pippen yet. So the only colored shoes that you had in your mind were like Spud Webb's ponies, Jordan's one, Jordan ones, like none of the original colorways of shoes back then were that bright, right? Like it reminded me of how crazy the the black and red Chicago or the black and red Jordan ones and the black and red airship were because they really were like completely different than what you saw on court. And I remember seeing this particular shoe at like 12, 13, 14 years old thinking like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and it was like the first time I remember wanting something that was like, completely outside of my comfort zone because I'm not like a uh, up until that point I was very much like let me rock my you know bulls colors together or my you know carolina colors together or my you know hoyas colors together all of that stuff like I was very much like just mash this shit together and don't go too far off the beaten path with the shit that you wear but then you get to become a teenager and you're like fuck everybody I'm just going to wear whatever the hell I want and I'm going to be allowed and obnoxious with everything that I wear and all my sneakers are just going to be conversation starters. So, I mean, it's dope you say that because like there were like, there's always the UNCs and Bulls, the teams MJ helped make popular, but UNC's always been popular. The Georgetown colorways, those have been staples in basketball since the 80s. What's so cool about like the purple pair you're talking about, a flight lights, um, pardon me, is, um, air flights, um, pardon me, airbound. I can't talk right now. The airbounds you're talking about, um, that really was, I can't think of a time before then where a shoe was this, that tonal and bright on a Nike basketball. Scotty really pushed and while keeping it low key, right? Like you might have a 33 on the back or something might say Pip might be pretty understated much like him. But when you look and, you know, feast on the details, he really did push basketball shit, like design and like style in, in a different way than Michael did, but in an equally important, like not everybody is Michael Jordan fan, is Michael Jordan fan, much like there's LeBron haters now. And there's like, you know, Federer haters. There's always been people who don't like the greatness. So I feel like, so you could you could kind of drift towards Pippen style and like the GRs he had before his signature shoes and rock with his style and, you know, be pop, you know, be trendy and like, you know, in with popular culture, but not be riding Michael Jordan's coattails. Very true. Very true. Yeah. One of the other things about the, the Airbound that's really fascinating to me is like, if you look at the, um, the, like the white and gray, white and black and gray colorway, right it's easy to see like there's two, two things when I look at that shoe that are like really, really crazy. One is the swoosh is completely wrong, right? Like it doesn't look like a Nike swoosh. It looks like a bootleg swoosh. It does. That aside, that aside, the shape of the swoosh being off, it's like, okay, it looks like a Nike basketball shoe from the early nineties. But my favorite detail on it was the flight F the F of the flight logo kind of like, I don't know what you call that, like embossed or like pressed into the midsole. 
And I don't remember ever seeing that before that point. You know, you, you saw it on the Air Force One, but it was like, you know, outward, right? But this was kind of like the first time where it was like, wow, they incorporated it into the design of that, like, you know, heel cup area. It's it's worth, I hate to, I, this, this whole episode is going to sound like me just telling you to go to the site. But like, it is really fascinating to like, look at this stuff now and think like how far we've come as fo- the way footwear design and technology has progressed but yet how much all of this stuff set the standard for moving forward in in the right direction. And the next shoe that's on the list is actually one of those shoes that I think is incredibly important that we don't really talk about the reason why I think it's important. And it's the Nike air flight light. So this is, this is a shoe that was worn by Scotty Pippen on the bulls, but it was worn by uh, Gerald Wilkins. He was in the ads for the shoe uh, you got the like citrone colorway. I think um, so. Um, had like the clear the clear outsole on the citrone colorway was the first one of the first like shoes that outside of Jordans that I remember seeing. Where I was like, wow, this this stuff is actually progressing. But the Flight Light was actually a lightweight shoe, which you know you don't look at it and think that because you look at it and it's a massive. 90s basketball shoe right it just looks bulky as hell but it was actually really lightweight and this being like 91 92 the technology and the foams that they use i forget the name of the specific foam that was used on the shoe right now but this was the stepping stone for shoes like the ergo lwp the scream lwp like the agassi lwp like all of those shoes in that like 94 95 lwp range the basis of that started in 92 on a shoe that you look at and don't even think that it's a lightweight performance shoe. I can see it. I mean, compared to things like, you know, the air strong and stuff like that, they, it looks bulky in terms of like, let's take the, the flight high, the flight light high. So like, yeah, that has a really kind of bulky wing to it, but it doesn't mean it has to be a heavy wing. And there's, I mean, they're fresher. I mean, I like these more than the airship, for example. And a lot of people don't even think about the flight light existing. But if you look at any of the Olympic photos, Michael Jordan wearing the seven, you're going to find Scotty wearing these. Um, and it's just, it's one of those shoes that doesn't ever really get retroed. I can't tell you the last time that shoe was retroed. I'm trying to think if I've ever seen a retro of it. Uh, I mean, I know they did like the, the like bulls colorway and the like lime citrone colorway, probably like 2013, 2012, 2013, but it's definitely a long, long time since, since it happened. And it probably, it's probably not a popular enough shoe for it to actually happen again. I mean, anytime soon, at least. Well, what's crazy is we see the Olympic air force 180 Barclays, whatever you want to call them. Um, we see those retro, not with a lot of consistency, but more than the flight light, you see pretty much every Olympic air more tempo or, um, was it flight 96? Mm-hmm. No, those are flights. Yeah. Yeah. But the flight light, I mean, and these are tough too. Like I really like the Scotty Pippen number on the back. It's just an issue we don't get treated to enough. And that will kind of get forget in history. And it's why this list is important. It's so that the flight light gets talked about once, at least a month. <laughs> and, and as you were, as you were saying that, I was like looking ahead to the next shoe, the pony M 100, which is another cliff Levingston shoe. The pony M 100 is a massive shoe. This is the same era, the same years that, the, that like the flight light is coming out is basically a shoe that looks like it's still stuck in the eighties. Right. Me being like overly into sneakers. This is actually still a, this is actually a shoe that I have. Um, I, I picked up, I had a, a, an original pair like way back in the day when I was a kid, but I got a trying to think of who the collaboration was with. Um, 
I think it's Oct Amsterdam did a like a denim version. And I picked that one up. I can't remember when it actually released, but probably uh, it's probably 2012, maybe. Yeah, that, that shoe is firmly set in the 80s. And, and as, right. as we look into that, it's funny how like these had that same Virgil Louis Vuitton vibe, which had that same, uh, uh, what shoe did this rip off? Or maybe it ripped off this pony and that's why it looks so familiar. So this pony is very similar to like the Avia shoes that came out in that same yeah. era, right? So like, like actually, I, I touch on this on the in the um, blog story or the article or whatever. Like Scotty Pippen was wearing those Avias early in his career, right? He signed, I, I want to say, like late '88, early '89 with Nike, and up until that point, he had been wearing the low top Avias which share a like crazy amount of similarities to this pony M100, which I think probably is, is probably kind of like the way if you look at running shoes right now, boost is, you know, Adidas cushioning, but Puma uses a version. Saucony uses a version, you know, everybody has a variation of it. The same with like Nike and the, the, the joyride and then Puma's sell stuff, right? Like everybody kind of has the, you know, the standard box that they play in, so to speak. And then occasionally somebody goes far enough outside of it to like push everybody towards new things. But this, this particular shoe is, is one of those, um, that personally, I'd rather have this than a pair of, you know, Louis Vuitton Virgil's, just because there's actual like, like story and nostalgia behind the shoe. I don't dislike the, the Louis Vuitton stuff. I just don't, I feel like it seems a little forced, I guess. A little bit. I mean, speaking of things that were forced, like, so next up you have Horace Grant and the pump Omni light, like pump technology was the most forced, like, all right, basketball jumping, you pump up a basketball. All right. Let's pump up these shoes. Like I try to, I've always wondered, like, what kind of speed the guy was on when he designed that shoe. Like, all right, basketball, <laughs> shoe, pump, jump, pump, air. It's just like uh, vision board must have been crazy. But like those, I feel like did try to push it into the new decade, right? With the design, because it still looks clunky. But like the flight light, it, the Omni Pump light isn't very heavy comparatively, and it is pretty sleek for the era. Like it just goes to show how, from Pony to these shoes, from to these shoes to like the late '90s Nike basketball, that to like the you know uh, early 2000s Adidas got really light. It's just like light's all relative, bulkiness is all relative, and the Omni light is still popular now because I feel like it, it bridges all three of those times or it bridges many times at once while still looking good. Yeah. It, it's kind of wild how different things were. Right. And it kind of sets the tone for like the change of everything that was happening. Right. Mike was, was pushing all this, you know, guys like Scotty and, you know, even, I mean, eventually like Horace Grant and, you know, BJ Armstrong, all the guys that were in that first, like kind of three peat, uh, eventually moved into more modern shoes with, you know, similar to, uh, you know, like Jordans, right? But the rest of the shoes that were being made were still, I, I feel like a like step behind, so to speak. And I mean, so on that same topic, this grinds my gears all the time and it's a little baby tangent like it grinds my gears because i feel like nike doesn't innovate and push the same way they used to i feel like from what you just said how jordan's look so different than what was around them like that is the nike way like the foam posit all these other shoes we'll talk about in this episode and the next um are, are going to be designs that were forward thinking from nike and I feel like they were um, come up with a great idea first and ask questions later. And I feel like a lot of stuff now gets caught in asking questions first about how it can be profitable or how it can work 
or, um, you know, it's all these fine tuning things. Um, when in all, you know, in all reality, things like even like the Presto and the flight light, like these shoes were trying different things. And I felt like then they were throwing the thing out there and seeing if people, you know, um, soaked it up instead of, um, testing the, the likability of a shoe so much, or, you know, having all this R and D on something before, because you're afraid of dropping a bomb. It, it drives me nuts. I feel like all these early and the nineties as a whole Nike basketball has kept pushing forward and like being unapologetic. And I feel like that kind of, it ended with like the battleground stuff and it comes back in time and time again. But this is like the height of Nike being like, all right, come catch us. Like we're going to go put this shit out there. And here we are 30 years later, still talking about it. So it worked. But I feel like we don't have that same kind of, you know, dry fast mentality with that brand that they had back in the day. And I feel like nobody does. It's 20, it's 2020 times are different. It's not Wolf of wall street. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that's always been kind of my question because I don't, I don't look at what's going on now and see like how, you know, the teenage, if I'm a teenager now, how do I get into this and be into it for the long term? Right. Because it's not that you have to go work in the business. You know, I, I think it's, I think you should always do something that you're passionate about or at least do something that, is like empowering you to do the stuff that you're passionate about outside of work, right? Like whether that's, you know, financially or scheduling or whatever, but I look at the stuff that that's happening now and I just wonder like, you know, and, and coming off watching the last dance, this is kind of a, you know, an obvious thought, but there was so much of everyone paying attention to all of these things that with everything so fast paced now, do people, will people remember it to, to, you know, will it be important enough for them to remember and talk about in the future? Right. Like let's take, for instance, the media day LeBrons. I personally think they're dope. I think, you know, if I'm a Laker fan like you, of course, that's a banana shoe, you know, like you're probably going to think about that and keep it in your collection for a long time because it it's very significant in, LeBron coming to LA and, and bringing back the the seven retro and all of those things. But it's also one of those things where it's like, cool, it dropped what's next. And do we forget about those moments? And I, I, I genuinely wonder like how people feel about that. Do you, do you still feel like things that happen now can, can, you know, have that same level of nostalgia or, you know, are we kind of, like, I don't know what the right word is, but are we kind of killing the the traditions and the nostalgia speak with the like fast paced social media, like, hey, you know, here's a moment, but we turned it into a meme and now it's no longer the moment, you know, like, like crying Jordan is a perfect example. I, I think it's hilarious, but I also totally look at some of these things and think, you know, like, I don't know, like Mike speaking at Kobe's, you know, uh, uh, what you call it? Um, I don't know, funeral, but like, that's not the right word, but, um, Mike speaking at Kobe's, you know, gathering and him crying again and talking about it being a meme is a really interesting thing to think about for me. And I wonder if that impacts our ability to appreciate the things that we are you know, consuming and using and buying and, and, you know, just like generally watching as, as we live. Yeah. I don't know. I think we really like to ride Michael Jordan with that crying meme just because he's Michael Jordan and we think of him as this untouchable being. And that's why we've enjoyed the last dance so much is because we get to see the personable side and, I, and it's not really – I don't like that Jordan crying meme, man. Like, we all cry. Let the man live. 
Yeah, true. Definitely. I mean, and, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you. I just, I guess like, I don't have a, I kind of just push it out of, out of my thought process in, in a sense. So I don't even think about those things when I see a meme or whatever that is, but, uh, I don't know. Anyway, let's, let's, let's keep moving forward. So you mentioned the OmniLight. So this is one of the things that I think is really fascinating. And I mentioned this in the, in the article. I wonder if people really recognize that there were like five or six variations of the Omni pumps, right? Like there was the pump OmniZone, the pump OmniZone two, three, four, the OmniLight, which is what, you know, is traditionally just said as like the D Brown shoe, even though he didn't, he had his own shoe that was also a pump that, you know, from a distance might look similar. Um, for the general population, they probably don't see a difference between any of those. And I wonder about that because as, a, as somebody who's like a fan of Reebok and kind of has been a fan and collected Reeboks for a long time, I, I am drawn to these the same way and the differences I am drawn to them. And I see the differences in the uniqueness of them in the same way that like you and I would look at an Air Max 90 and Air Max one and Air Max light and Air Max 95 and be like, Oh yeah, these are clearly all different shoes. But the average person probably looks at them all and goes, Oh, black shoe, white accents, orange basketball pump on the, on the tongue. It's the same shoe. So I mean, it's, I don't know where I was going with that, but <laughs> no, I, mean, I like that you say that because I mean, with the D Browns, kind of the same way I was wearing my um, Air More Up Tempos and some of the, oh, those are the Pippins. It's like, well, yeah, they are, but they're not. <laughs> but they are. Like, tell me, a pastor buyer is really going to know the difference between an Up Tempo ninety seven and the Pippin one? Probably not. Yeah, yeah, definitely not. Um, I mean, so this next shoe. I do that. Like I really get the torsion uh, artillery by Adidas mixed up and with just like every fucking Adidas shoe from that time. Like it's all, this, I know they're all not the same, but I feel like Adidas in the early nineties, they were all the damn same shoe until Kobe came maybe before, I mean, before Kobe came, but like before 94, they weren't all that different. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're definitely not wrong. I, I I think I even mentioned like this in the story, but I think Adidas was really trying to figure out who they were in the you know late '80s, early '90s. They had some successful shoes, the Top Ten, the you know uh, another uh, the cream. So '70s and '80s, you have the you have Ewing before he had Ewing brand. You had Cream before yeah. he went with LA Gear. Like you had like a decent stable of shoes. Um, and then it's just like you're competing with ASICs and you're competing with Pony and you're competing with all these other brands. And I feel like they, this is another shoe that's just like caught in that mix. And then you have a flight light come out and it's like, all right, this shoe is completely different than the Adidas, um, ASICs, et cetera. Like this Adidas shoe is just like a product of the time. Maybe I think, I mean, Duke wore these. I'm pretty sure uh, Christian Leitner wore these like before Duke had Nike, they were Adidas right before the Grant Hill times, I believe, or maybe mm -hmm. even with yep. Grant, Hill, they wore Adidas. I think Grant Hill's rookie year, they wore Adidas. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> and Christian Leitner, Bobby Hurley both wore, I know for a fact Bobby Hurley wore the artilleries. I know for a fact. Yeah, I know, I know Bobby, Bobby Hurley did, but like, that's the interesting thing about Adidas in that time. And it really shows like the, the progress that they made as like Kobe came in, you know, now we look at it and it's like feet you wear is like a normal thing. You see it on all this stuff. They try to represent it in new ways, but I can't overstress how important it was for them because that was the thinking and the mindset that took them away from, you know, these kind of traditional big bulky shoes where you really had to be involved with the shoes in order to understand what models were what and why the artillery was more of a, 
more of a guard shoe. I don't know. It wasn't even really a guard shoe though, right? Because I think Leitner played in it, which obviously he was not a guard. But like, that's the problem, right? Like you have a shoe that is arguably less chunky than previous models or other models in the lineup, but yet it's still like not to the level of like 1992 there, like Christian Leitner is playing in the artillery, which looks like a shoe from 87, 88, maybe even further back while, you know, Jordan's in the seven Pippin's in the flight light. Uh, you know, the Hirachis are right around the corner. Like there's just so much progression happening. So to me, it's, it's really cool to like actually look at this and think at some point in the, the two to three years that followed from this shoe coming out. And I actually love this shoe. I have a few of them. Um, they did some really cool collaborations in like the like kind of early 2000s as retro models. But like from where the artillery was over the, those like two to three years went from a shoe that was basically square, boxy and overly cushioned and overly padded to stuff like the crazy eight, the Kobe one, like in the course of just, yeah, like all that stuff happened. Then you get into like the EQT, which was, you know, the, the crazy like slip in boot thing where you could change the colors of the inner lining. So like Adidas, what's that? The Adidas street ball, the street ball. Yeah. That's another one. But like, you know, think of like, the the adidas eqt right like the bas- eqt basketball was essentially nike's hirachi technology but with a completely removable changeable sock liner so imagine like the jordan 7 or a dynamic flight or something like that that has hirachi the hirachi basketball but instead of it just being in the shoe and attached where like that fit is over the top and over your ankles it's the entire booty is one piece that was the eqt basketball which is even crazier because then you look at that and think if you were, if you were just walk into a store, you know, take, take where we're at now out of it. If you were to just walk into a store and look at what the Nike Hirachi basketball is, I'm going to preface this by saying, I love that shoe, but look at what the Nike Hirachi basketball is, how the actual inner booty doesn't wrap the entire foot. And then you look at the Adidas and say, wow, I can actually, this is like a sock liner that I can change that I can wash, that I can change the colors of, that I can like completely customize my shoes. Yet, you know, I don't want to say that the EQT from Adidas sucked or tanked, but compared to the Hirachi stuff, nobody cares about those Adidas EQTs, partially because even though they went with a cool sock liner and the customizable aspect, the shoes are really bulky. And I say this as somebody who's owned both those shoes I love both those shoes. I wouldn't play basketball in the EQT for the life of me, but I would absolutely still play basketball in a Hirachi basketball. Same shoe, 92, 93 era, completely different perspectives, even though from first glance, you would think that the Adidas was way more advanced in terms of technology. Facts. I mean, speaking of booties, the Air Jordan 7 is up next. And I think like, that's like two of my most favorite marriages in Jordan history are the seven and eight, because with the seven, you have it kind of married to the Hirachi basketball and the eight was kind of married to the air raid. You know, it's like, you know, there's significant other, they're, they're together, but different, you know, they're like, um, you don't look like your wife, so to speak. So, <laughs> so it's like, you know, they're a couple, you, you can see the, you, you can see why they're together, but they both offer something different. And the Jordan 7, we talked about this in one of our Patreon episodes, I think is one of the most comfortable Jordans ever because of the booty. Like, I love everything about that shoe. I mean, the only thing bad about it is how badly the toe box likes to crease up and bubble. Like, you get a really big bubble toe. I call it clown feet sometimes. If you time too tight <laughs> at the bottom for too yeah. long, you just start bubbling up. But uh, yeah. the seven, I feel like, was like the realization of what the six should have been. Because the six is just a bulkier version of the seven. Like you, you cut down the ankle, you cut down the thickness of the forefoot. Um, 
I believe that the tooling is just about the same, but like, you know, it's not visible air. You have internal air, but just the fit of the seven and the tongue and everything about the upper just feels better than the six. And it's just like a natural progression between the two without it feeling recycled. Like I, I just love, I don't own very many sevens. I think I only have two pairs now, but I'm in love with like 10 of them. Like the seven's just always been a really visually appealing shoe that has the comfort to boast. Like I could still wear that all day. I can go put five miles in, go walk Hollywood, you know, all day on vacation and be comfortable in that shoe. You think the the seven, the six, seven, or eight is more comfortable? Ooh, I think the the seven's the best of the three because the eight, um, for as much as I love the way it looks, I think it's it's on that bulky end. The straps and the ankle get to be too cumbersome. I like how the seven's wings, you know, the sides of the seven mm-hmm. around the ankle are really flimsy. Some people don't like that, but it's aesthetic for me. Like it looks cool without it feeling like it's really there. The eight is just the eight and the six and the five to a degree had this really, really hard ankles. And it's just, uh, I, I would definitely pick the seven of those three in terms of premium comfort. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to say now because I, I think of all the different stuff when I'm putting them on and wearing them. I don't, I don't think I have any sevens right now. I'm, I'm so terrible. I like, if, if I were to give one piece of advice, don't buy sneakers. Like that's my advice for everyone listening. It's, it's just right. such a, but I love it. Um, but I, th- I think like the six is probably my choice. I'm with you on the eight being a little bulky. I was never a huge, like it's, it's hard to say like you're not a huge fan because I feel like inherently as a, as someone who grew up watching Michael Jordan, I love every shoe. Like even the 15, the 2009, the, the 2010s, like all of the we Jordans that are. Things. It doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> yeah, we don't own one of them. Doesn't mean we all oh, hate that thing. It's like, no, I just don't own that one. It's yeah. just but, but between the price, need and timing, those three didn't match up. So, yep, exactly. Around, like, it's so funny you say that because it's like. I don't. I was saying before we record, I still don't like 14s. Yet watching the Last Dance got me thinking, real salty about the Last Dance. Uh, pardon me, the Last Shot 14s. I didn't buy at the Nike outlet for like ninety dollars two, three years ago, and now I'm like, damn, I wish I had that shoe. And then the person who has like a sensible mind within me says, you have a hundred other Jordans in there. You, you you know why you didn't buy them on sale? You don't need them for $300, like, let it go now. Like, it's, I, I feel like I'm like parenting myself constantly with an internal dialogue with shoes. So yeah, do not buy shoes. <laughs> so I, I'm in the same boat. And, you know, so I guess like kind of wrapping up, there's, we got plenty of other stuff on this list. I just suggest that you go check it out. Um, everything is kind of click through. You can, you can, uh, you know, slide through some slides for almost every shoe. You can zoom in on the pictures to see a little bit better. Look, I try to get examples of everything, but in general, the worst part about having a podcast about sneakers, a site about sneakers, posting sneakers all the time is you would not believe the stuff that I find myself looking at on eBay or on random sites, just thinking, why would I ever buy this? but also having to like talk myself out of buying things that I would enjoy for a split second when it showed up and I'd be excited about it. And then it a goes couple weeks later, it'd be on a pile and I'd forget about it. Man. I mean, it's, it's the realest talk, like the Flint's like before the last dance last night, I believe you texted saying there's probably going to be a drop and I knew it. I didn't even open it cause I didn't want to have, the short endorphin burst of being in sneakers and trying to get a pair. And if I got them, I would do exactly what you just said. They would come in. I would look at them. I would be satisfied. I would close the box. I would put them underneath three other pairs of shoes and I would maybe see them next year. So it's like my big goal. I've let go of 
since I sent Nick and Mike a photo of the shoes I'm selling, I think I've sold nine pairs in the past week. I love it. It's a rush. Like for as much as it is fun buying shoes, it also feels really good getting rid of them. Like it's a weird kind of like satisfying feeling, not even because I'm making money off them. I'm selling like Lunar Glide fives for like $40. You know, it's like, I'm not balling. I think the coolest thing I sold were my 72 and 10 Jordan 11s. So I was like, Ooh, opportunity sell because of the last dance. And I already have eight other pairs of mid top 11s. I never wear these piece. <laughs> so it's just yeah. like, you got to be real with yourself. Like, all right, you already have the cherry 13s and you already have the playoff 13s. Are you going to wear the Flint 13s? Like, when, when you start getting into collecting at our levels, you're just like, all right, I'm at number five of this model or number six of this model now. Like, do I need, like, that's why I own two pairs of sixes now. I think I had eight at one time. I don't even like sixes that much. I, I mean, I like them, but it's just like, when you have a thousand dollars worth of shoes, you're meh about. You're so tripping. how long, how long until, until you see a pair of 72 and 10 Jordan 11s and are like, damn it. I yes, wish sure. I would have kept those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yesterday, I sold them on Friday and on Sunday I was like, damn, they still look good. I mean, I'm not like, I mean, that's the thing. Like you got to have real conversations when you get let go of stuff. It's like, I like the way these shoes look, but I also, ha- I was looking at the space jam box and I was looking at the bread box I was like, these are the same shoes, but better. Like of the three, I would keep these two every time and get rid of this one. So just get rid of it. Yeah. It's like, I need yeah. to watch Marie Kondo, but I know what she's about. <laughs> and it's like, you got to like, <laughs> see if it really does spark joy. And if it doesn't, you got to let it go. But with sneakerheads, you know, we can find anything can spark joy. Like you can get joy sparked off of like a three-year-old beat up pair of Continental 80s. It's we're so weird like that. You have to get through. I have to get past the first phase of, Ooh, I love the 72 and 10 Jordan 11 and get into the second phase of, I haven't worn these in a year. And then the third phase, I need to let them go. So it's just like, (laughs) yeah, it's really tough, especially with the last dance, man. Um, Sneakers reselling higher. I'm going on a tirade. So I'm going to stop talking, but just it's, it's hard in these streets. So true, man. So true. <clears throat> but I mean, I guess that's that should be probably our parting uh, words. We hope that, you know, looking over this list, if you if you take the time to do so and watching the last dance, you don't get too crazy. Or if you do just embrace it and go all in, that's what I typically do. But then you end up with piles of shoes everywhere. So <laughs> um, we appreciate everybody listening and uh, yeah anything else before we wrap up do not spend stupid money on resale sites for last shot 14s that's my PSA <laughs> you're not worth 450 they're going to come out three years from now and then be on sale again chill <laughs> probably probably some really sound advice if you were to ask me so All right. Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening and rocking with us. We appreciate your support. If you do have a minute, head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Or if you want to get in on some of the new merch and some of the giveaway stuff that we're going to be putting on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash sneaker history. My name's Nick Ingvall. You can find me at Nick Ingvall on all the platforms. But more importantly, just follow at sneaker history. And uh, Robbie, let them know how they can find you. You can find me doing everything but putting out at R-A-H-B-E-E-702. We appreciate all of you, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Peace. What up, y'all? This is Nick again. First, I wanted to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. It really means a lot that you would spend a part of your day rocking with us. Before you take off, I wanted to ask a few favors. If you're looking for more content from the Sneaker History crew, head over to patreon.com slash sneakerhistory. Our Patreon members get access to exclusive episodes of the podcast, our latest merch, giveaways, and much more. You can become a member for as little as five bucks a month, and it really goes a long way supporting the crew. Next, make sure you're signed up for our email newsletter. We share updates about the footwear business, some of our favorite finds and deals, and other sneaker-related news a couple times per week. I like to think of it as a one-stop shop for the sneaker game. 
or at least a work-in-progress one-stop shop for the sneaker game, if you know what I mean. Last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. Whether online or in person, social distancing in effect, of course, it helps make the sneaker community a better place, and you never know what conversation and opportunity might come from it. As always, we appreciate you, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. Hey, hey, Nick here again. Before you take off, I want to thank you for listening to the Sneaker History Podcast. Be sure to hop into our Discord to answer this episode's The Last Shot question and get to know our community of sneaker enthusiasts. If you'd like more insights on the trending topics in the sneaker world, I've also recently started a newsletter to share my knowledge from nearly two decades of experience working in the footwear industry. You can find the link to that below or go to sneakerhistory.com newsletter. And last but not least, tell someone you like their kicks today. You never know how far a simple compliment can take you, and we all know how good it feels to be on the receiving end of some appreciation. Thank you for all the support, and we will catch you on the next episode. Peace.